This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Attention BetMGM customers. Have a friend who loves sports as much as you do? Here's a chance for both of you to earn a $50 bonus when they sign up through BetMGM's Refer-A-Friend program. Just sign into your BetMGM account and click on the Refer-A-Friend program to send your friend a message inviting them to register a new account in the same state you use BetMGM in. Once your friend signs up and makes a deposit, they'll receive a $50 bonus. And once your friend places a bet with their bonus and the wager is settled, you'll receive a $50 bonus as well. Share the excitement and get a $50 bonus every time you refer a friend to BetMGM. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Ohio only. New and existing customer offer. All promotions are subject to qualification and eligibility requirements. Rewards issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets. Bonus bets expire in 30 days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. At Lowe's, we're your go-to for great gardening values every day. That's why we've lowered our price on select bagged mulch. Now starting at just $2.88 a bag. Mulch helps prevent weeds and retains moisture. And when you put it down around trees, shrubs, and flower beds, you'll see how beautiful it makes your outdoor space. Just in time to welcome back family and friends. Shop online and pick up in store. Lowe's, home to the best part of summer. Selection and product availability vary by location. While supplies last, U.S. only excludes Alaska and Hawaii. All right, it's film study, and this is our first Know Your Foe episode of 2019 because the season kicks off in just a few days as the Ravens travel down south to Miami to take on the Dolphins. Ken McCusick, how you doing? Life's good, Josh. How about you? I'm doing good. You know, Dorian passed up through Florida. Other people can worry about it now. I don't have to right now, so I'm all good. Glad to hear that, Josh. It didn't. It did not look good for Jacksonville there, and you guys just bought a house, right? Uh, no, we, you know, we didn't buy a house. We were renting because our house in Annapolis uh, hasn't sold yet. And thank that, goodness for the slow real estate market in Maryland. Well, no, but it did definitely leave me at more peace as I left to go visit friends, not worried about the home. Glad to hear it. So, I, uh, but Ken, we're going to really dig into the dolphins. So we had to bring on a dolphin expert. So we got Ian Wharton joining us tonight, who uh, writes, covers the NFL for Bleacher Report, Fan Sided, Sportsbook Review, and probably some other sites as well. Ian, how you doing? I'm doing well, guys. Thanks for uh, having me on and considering me. 
That's great. You, you come highly recommended, Ian, from uh, from Travis Wingfield. So we're glad to have you on. And uh, and you know you're obviously plugged in a lot of different ways to the to the Dolphins. So we definitely want to get into some significant depth. One thing that's that's you know kind of strikes me about the first game every season is how little we know, particularly schematically, about both teams involved. Like we we have not seen very much in the preseason. That's the challenging packages that the defensive coordinators and the offenses will put on the field as we move forward in week one. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. I mean, especially, you know, with the Ravens, and I'm I'm sure you guys have talked about this, like, I I don't really know as a foe week one, what what can you expect? And and I think Dolphins got an entirely new coaching staff. It's not an experienced coaching staff as far as you know, uh, Caldwell, Dick Caldwell, he ended up stepping down early. We thought that maybe he was going to have his hands on the quarterback, hands have his hands on the offense. Well, if that were the case, the Ravens could go back and go to the Colts and say, well, this is what he did with the Colts. We can kind of predict off of this. But with him out the door so early, now all of a sudden we're looking at preseason games and we're saying, you know, does any of this actually matter? Does any of this predict what we want? to prepare for do we have to go back to potentially going to the patriots um and see what can we predict off of them when that's extremely difficult Mm -hmm. because obviously they have tom brady so i I don't really know that you're going to pick up a ton uh, especially offensively from them Uh, so the dolphins are are definitely a a interesting situation especially when you look at their roster you look at the changes that they've made over the last week or two Um, they are one of the most unknown teams I think heading into the year in terms of what they're going to run I think most people expect the Dolphins to be terrible Um, but how they're going to be terrible is actually (laughs) it's actually important it may not be important for the wins and losses but you know, still as a fan and, and, and as an analyst, we want to see, is there actually a good process here? Is there going to be creative coaching? Um, we're not quite sure. Okay. So, yeah, that's that's certainly something to look forward to as a Dolphin fan. Um, is there, first of all, one, one question I want to ask was about the weather for Sunday. What's the temperature supposed to be like in Miami and humidity? Any idea? I am not sure. Um, okay. Probably, probably pretty warm, but I'm not sure how the hurricane is affecting that. Right. Looking, looking ahead at the schedule from early in the season, one of the things I said is that is not a weather-friendly game for the Ravens. They like to play in very cold, very windy weather, but not in. Uh, I, I don't think that they'll benefit. Their defense will benefit from having a hot, uh, humid day. I don't think that would be a positive for them. All right. Well, let's. I, I don't think we can start this conversation about the Dolphins without first talking about the sort of rebuild that they're in now. And I, I, I just start by saying that Oriole fans can completely empathize with the current plight of the Dolphins. Uh, the Orioles, as of the last trade deadline in 2018, began a massive rebuild with a bunch of trades. And they've since been able to draft Adley Rutschman, number one overall, who he's hitting well in the minor leagues and looks like a great prospect. But Oriole fans are showing up not in droves to the stadium in, in Baltimore, and they're instead getting their MILB subscriptions and being able to watch minor league baseball around the country and, and some of the prospects there. T- tell me a little bit about how you reacted to the recent spate of trades. It really surprised me in the sense of, I, we look at Laramie Tunsil. He is the quintessential building block, right? He was a first-round pick. You were lucky to get him, even though it was a different regime. Uh, that's the type of player that you want to build around, especially with Josh Rosen in tow, potentially whatever comes in the future. They had the picks to, I think, still rebuild uh, effectively. The problem with trading Tunsil, I think, is that, especially for what they got for him, 
is that they're going to get late first round picks. We can presume that. We can be fairly confident that unless Deshaun Watson gets hurt, uh, that team's going to be very competitive. They're going to be mid to late first round, probably in the 20s, if not even later. Um, you're not going to replace Laramie Tunsil in all likelihood with that pick, or even those picks, I should say. Uh, so you're looking at it as a whole. If, I guess if you're going to sell it, you're going to say, well, we're, and you kind of heard this from Brian Flores and, and, and um, the general manager, Chris Greer. Well, the offensive line is a little bit more of a unit, more than just one individual. And they're correct in that. But at the same time, if you think that you have a blossoming all pro type of talent, or at least pro bowler, high end caliber, which we think that Laramie Tunsil is going to be or is already, then it's just very difficult to sell that, I think, to a locker room. It's difficult to sell that um, to a fan base. And, and also, it should be difficult to sell to the coaches, right? Like, the coaches should be on board with the front office, but at the same time, it's hard to look at that trade and say, we got, not necessarily got better, because we know we're not going to, going to get better, but that we received some sort of other plan that's uh, that we can actually work with. Um, they received Julian Davenport in that trade, and he was a turnstile last year. He was mm -hmm. terrible. He's one of the worst left tackles in the league last year. There's really not much to work with as far as, uh, you know, if it's going to be a unit, that's not a player that you can really scheme to help. He's Is just he really, penciled in as the starter currently? They're talking about either starting Davenport or kicking out uh, left guard Danny Isadora, which wow. is terrifying. Uh, that is honestly the worst plan I think I've ever heard for an opening day left tackle. Uh, potentially. I just, it, it's astounding to me. He's smallish for a guard, let alone for a tackle. So um, that's very worrisome. I have to mention it's going to be Davenport just from a, a size and build uh, just to add the length there on the edge. But uh, you know, from the, you're really looking towards the future with the Tunsil trade, which is it, it, like I said, it's just difficult for me because I think Tunsil was already the future. I think he was the present and the future. Well, let me let me take a devil's advocate position on that because I I, I do I love the Tunsil trade. I think it was a great trade for the Dolphins. Um, one of the things is that he's drafted, of course, in the same draft as Ronnie Stanley, seven picks later, right? Thirteenth relative to sixth, I believe is yes. correct. Okay, so when I look at that trade, he's already got three years in the past. Those are three of the five cheap years you get for draft value. After you have to pay market value, it's a very limited portion of the total value that the player brings you in the draft. So you've already lost most of that. You can't compare it to two late first round picks now because those two late first round picks are, are you know, you get five years out of them. And so I, I, I like it from that perspective. The other thing, I just love the timing of it. I think it was going to be, Tunsil is one of the few players on the team who could help contribute to it to a future Dolphins champion. I do want to talk about that. But the fact that you trade him is going to eviscerate the offensive line. And if you ever wanted to tank for Tua, this is a strategy to do it, to, to make sure that, well, yeah, the, the first round picks you may be getting maybe later in the draft from Houston, but you may get a you may increase the value of your own first round pick. Yeah, and and that's fair. And I think that there's one thing that there's no doubt that the Dolphins can't be unhappy. We know that the trade happened. Right. So like we can't look at that and say, well, you know, I wish that wouldn't have happened. Well, we can look at what they returned and there's no doubt they, they received what they should have. And mm -hmm. I think throwing in Kenny Stills, there is no doubt that that was going to come to an end. You look at what happened with the owner and Stills, and that's just, that was certainly going to come to an end um, to get, to be able to throw him in there, maybe turn that second, turn that into a second round pick. Maybe it was a fourth round pick, right? Maybe it was just Tunsil for two first and a fourth to be able to upgrade whatever that pick was going to be to a second round pick is excellent. Um, I think Stills is a fantastic player, but 
he had no purpose on his team at this point. We know that they're going to tank. So there's no reason to keep the veteran around at that point. Uh, so I thought that was a nice job for them. It, it saves them money, certainly, um, which I think they have the most dead cap now in the, in the NFL this year uh, because they've moved so many veterans and gotten off so many deals. Uh, but that's going to help them in the future. We saw the Bills do that in the last couple of years. They got all that cap space and they were able to make t- a ton of upgrades in free agency. So, I mean, there's no doubt that they're taking the steps, right? They're tearing it down to the studs. They're doing a nice job of that, collecting the assets. Uh, it's just, I guess it just comes down to how you value Tunsil and how you value the first round picks. But ultimately the package that they received is fantastic. And and I, I, I sort of look at the Browns with the Joe Thomas situation, right? For so many years, they had Joe Thomas. And I don't think Joe Thomas, and I don't think one lineman really wins you games. I think one lineman puts you over the top Kind of like Houston, right? Like that's the that's that's where I'm like I can't criticize Houston even though they gave away so much because I think that one they have to they don't have a general manager Bill O'Brien obviously he's paying a premium for everybody that they've acquired mm-hmm. and they ne- haven't necessarily gotten a premium back so he's showing his weaknesses as a general manager but also I think for their team it makes sense he needs to win and he went out and got probably the best guy available um, granted he gave up a lot but. You look at the market, and he was either like an injured Trent Williams, an aging Trent Williams, probably for a first-round pick plus, or it was Tunsil for two first-rounders. In his mind, I can see the justification. So I thought it was a, I thought it was a decent trade for both teams, and as far as what they got and what they gave up, even though it was a lot, um, just looking at the context and situation for each team. Yeah, you know, honestly, I'm not sure I wouldn't have pulled the trigger on the same deal for Ronnie Stanley. And my honest belief is that Ronnie Stanley is slightly better than Laramie Tunsil in terms of the three years he's had in the league. I I think it's hard to argue the point, given how much more he's played, how he's played out all at left tackle. The fact that he's he's scored a little better by my offensive line system, at least. I I have a hard time uh, not coming to that conclusion. And I still think that package of players, if let's say Sneed was the additional player to go to take the place of Kenny Stills. And that's probably not a one for one comparison, but uh, you know, do you have a reasonable exchange of value there? I mean, I've got to say, you know, the main value that Miami got was the fact that Bill O'Brien went insane in terms of giving away value in this trade. And I guess one other question I had is, do the dolphins have any more cap room this year? I guess they can always create it by restructuring, but do they have any more cap this room to, to make yet another trade? Cause I mean, one of the things that comes to mind right away is that the Ravens are in deep need of a slot corner and Miami might have a guy. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I would look at Bobby McCain as the guy to move. Um, he's got a little bit of a bloated salary that re-signed him and they, suddenly moved him to safety. Uh, Last year, they moved him to safety. They moved him to outside corner, trying to find a home for him. It was bizarre because he was a very good slot corner. That was his specialty. He doesn't necessarily have the speed to play free safety. We've seen that in the preseason already. He's kind of been exposed a little bit, running towards the sideline. I think guys, um, especially outside receivers, have that outside speed advantage on him. But you move him in the slot, and he's very comfortable there. He's able to play zone, able to play man. Uh, I think he's the type of player that you would look at on this roster and say, you know what, there's some veteran value there. You can maybe flip him for a late round pick, mm-hmm. clear off the books, continue to do that. And you get a little bit of value, a little bit more ammunition, whether it be for 2020 or 2021, try to get like a fifth round pick or something like mm-hmm. that. And it's not much, but those are those little toppers, especially for a team like this, because McCain is going to age out eventually from this rebuild cycle. So absolutely. I, I think that this, this team has a couple pieces. There's not many. You're maybe looking at three, I think, that would have that type of value. But it makes sense to continue to do so and open up playing time for young guys. 
Yeah, I mean, that, that does make a lot of sense to me. And a few years ago, the Ravens acquired Josh Wilson in the fourth year of his deal under similar circumstances. Now, McCain obviously is on his second contract right now, right? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So he's. How does his How does his ratio of uh, deferred money look? Did he Did he have a, a very high percentage in a signing bonus that was up front, or has he still got a reasonable low percentage of salary relative to total cap hit this year? Um, I would have I would have to check. Um, I'm not okay. sure off the top of my head. I know it was one of the bigger slot contracts in the league at the time of signing. Um, so he's not cheap per se. Um, how many more years? I believe he has three more. Okay. Um, yeah. So it's you're you're not quite in like that easy to cut stage. I think after this year is when you could actually move on from them cheaply mm-hmm. um, if it's like a normal structure. And usually Miami does those type of structures. They'll do the two year guarantee and then you can get out after the second year. Um, so I'm assuming it was the same on his contract. Um, but it, it makes sense for Miami, I think, to get rid of that one if he if they can. Okay. Well, let's talk about the the more fun element of this, and that is well, I do want to talk about Tua first of all for a minute because obviously. A lot of people are now putting Tua ahead of the other quarterbacks in this class. Do you, first of all, do you feel the same way? Yes, I don't think it's close. Um, I think he's the guy in this class, just um, charting all the quarterbacks. I went back, watched all of their snaps of like the top eight guys from the last year. Um, and then also, I'll do it weekly this year as well. And, and to me, he's just got the accuracy that no one else has in this class. Um, the one thing that I think that you could sell yourself on as to being a, a potentially a different quarterback. One would be Justin Herbert's upside. Mm-hmm. I, I think that his physical upside is very much like Carson Wentz's. Um, so if you want that type of playmaker, maybe you opt for that. But I think his bottom end and, and the rest of his game, the polish of his game does not stack up to Tua. And I think Tua has a very high upside as well. So I don't think that that's a knock on Tua to say that. But if you want the traditional big body, make big plays outside the pocket, um, you think that he's going to be able to take hits, which is, has not been the case for Herbert. He's been banged up um, two, you know, two years in a row. Uh, so it's like, again, like Wentz, he looks the part, but he's not necessarily mm-hmm. built to be the part. Uh, for me, it's Tua very easily. I, I think the question really for Miami is, do you want to build up the roster in 2020 for potentially Trevor Lawrence and make this a two-year painful cycle? Or do you want to go for Tua and do you want to try to just use those extra picks to, you know, in you know, get the influx of talent in 2020 and make a push for it. I think you have to do it in 2020 because coaching staffs can't last really two years of tanking. But uh, I think that would be a more interesting question for me. Okay, so that's a that's a very complex GM question because Miami has two picks in each of the first four rounds coming up in 2020. So in order to move that value forward into the 2021 draft would be very difficult. They could do it. They could reset their draft. And, you know, there's some deferred value and uh, some some, present. A pick today is worth more in future picks is the general rule. So, you know, you you hopefully could do that. But on the other on the other hand, um, you know, the the real value they want to do is find the, the, the exact quarterback that they want and start that cycle as late as possible. So if two is the guy they want. Starting starting the cycle next year, maybe all the best they can do. If if like you say, if they can wait on Lawrence, then they could start the cycle one year later, and they would have a lot of additional money to fund that team for one more year. Yeah, and it just it's it's basically unprecedented, right? Like a two year re- like mm-hmm. a a very um, conscientious two year rebuild. Uh, I guess you'd look at the Browns and you would say that they were that way. Um, they passed on Watson. They could have traded up for Pat Mahomes. You know, they, they I think they passed on. Wentz. I think they passed on uh, Wentz and they passed on uh, Trubisky as well because they took, um, you know, Garrett 
uh, Miles Garrett over him. So, I mean, which that was kind of an obvious decision, but still, they made the decision and, and they waited to start that clock. So, but we saw what happened. That cost everyone their jobs. And mm-hmm. I don't know how you can, I think you can tell your general manager and coach that as a front office or as a, as ownership. I think it's another thing to sit there through it for two years and to try to answer to your fan base. And I know that Trevor Lawrence is probably worth it. You know, to be honest, I, I think he probably is worth it, but I just think it's difficult as a billionaire, probably very impatient hearing all these fans who don't want to wait. They would rather just, you know, there are people wanting them to start Ryan Fitzpatrick to win right now, even with the current roster. <laughs> and that's the, that's the reality for most fan bases, right? We just, we just want to enter, be entertained. We just want to win. We don't care about tomorrow. Let's win. Um, I think the, the, not necessarily more intelligent, but I think that the more long-term view fans understand that this sometimes is going to be bumpy, but you know, it's, it's been a difficult journey for Miami. You know, they've tried to mortgage the future and win right now. And they've failed so many times that it's like, now they're going to go with the opposite approach. And I think they're in for a tough ride and actually experiencing what one in 15 may look like. It's a, it's a great point in terms of, of uh, fans having a short-term view or long-term view. I have a theory. I think it's, you put a microphone out on the corner and you, you put a little a sign on it that says, is life fair record here? And you're going to get the psychos to come up to that microphone and talk about it. And that's what talk radio is about. I mean, who's, who's motivated to call somebody to give their opinion on air about, I mean, you know, who cares enough for that? You know, we have the internet for that. We have all kinds of other places to discuss it. I just don't think that, I think the bulk of fans have a tremendously long-term view, much longer than management and even ownership in most cases. And, you know, I always hear the fans talking about tanking for a draft pick. I never hear ownership doing about it, largely because they have to figure out how to sell seats and make money, I think. But they're medium term. And short term are the coaches. And this is why O'Brien, the general managership of Houston, is in such poor hands right now. Uh, You know, as a completely different view, a completely different time frame. And of course, the general manager could be on any time frame if he's incented properly and told what the arrangement is. Of course, the ownership can then tell him, I'm sorry, that's not the way I really intended it for Go and, and change it. But anyway, I, I'm, I'm straying a little bit. I like Miami's rebuild. I think what they've done is exceptionally good, and I think they're going to be good. I, I would ask you, who are the other cornerstone players on the Dolphins who you think will still be there in two to three years? And it doesn't necessarily have to be anybody who's definitely a cornerstone, but among the rookies, maybe, who's who's looks good to you in terms of a, of a quality talent? Yeah, it's it's a big year for a lot of guys, and this is a great opportunity. You know, I will say that it, it, this is an an amazing opportunity for a lot of these guys. Um, they really couldn't have fell into a better situation for the long term because if they proved themselves in 2019, that position should be there. So mm-hmm. I would look at Preston Williams. He's the undrafted free agent out of Colorado State. He really showed out in the preseason. You talk to scouts about him, day two type of talent. This was a, a second round type of player. But off the field incidents were were severe and they were severe enough to go undrafted. Uh, Miami was wise to pick him up. He's a big body player. He can win jump balls. He's got enough speed. He can do a little route running. Uh, he's pretty good. I mean, he's already pretty good. We already saw that in the preseason. I want to see that obviously translate to Sundays. But you look at the receiving core, you've got Jakeem Grant, Albert Wilson. Those guys are locked in long term, a little bit more long term. Uh, Jakeem Grant just got his extension, but those obviously aren't number one type of guys. They fit into like the Patriot mold of 
you know, very quick, very fast. They get open, you know, and, and in the right system with the right quarterback, they're going to get the ball very quickly. That's great, but you, they still generally are going to want a ball-dominant player. I think Williams can be what Devontae Parker was supposed to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe not quite the freakish athlete that Parker is, and maybe Parker establishes himself. I've been a little bit low on Parker throughout his career. Even as a prospect, he's kind of He's never really been that aggressive type of guy, that guy that goes gets the ball. He's a great guy with the ball in his hands, but he struggles up to that point. I think Williams is sort of the opposite of that. I think he's a guy that will go get the ball. I think he's going to have really good value, especially with Ryan Fitzpatrick. We saw him have good chemistry with Josh Rosen as well, but Fitzpatrick especially will go give him the ball. I think this is going to be a launch pad year for him. I think watch for the second half of the year. I think Williams will really establish himself as a potential starter. Um, I don't really care for much else on the offense. Um, I look at Michael Dieter, the left guard, third round out of Wisconsin, um, a little bit more of a physical road grader, going to get in your face, physical power gap uh, type of blocker. I like him. I like his fit. If it's going to be a Patriot style offense that we're going to anticipate it going to be. Um, I think that that's the type of skill set. That's the type of value that you're going to get if you're scouting is done properly. That's exactly the type of championship uh, type of formula that you're going to be looking for is find those mid-round steals, those mid-round starters um, who just fit the system. Again, offensive line, this is what they're preaching. Offensive line is a unit, not necessarily individuals. I think he could be really good in a unit, just like he was at Wisconsin. Um, everyone else on the offense, I pretty much look at as disposable. I, mm-hmm. I think you can, they're all replacement level. Running back Kenyon Drake, I think it speaks volumes that this is another coaching staff that isn't giving him the full workload that people want. I think that's very telling. There's something there, whether it be personality, his game, maybe his body, something about that. It's just not the workhorse that we see. And we look at the advanced numbers. Everything is is beautiful. This looks like it should be David Johnson. But he's not being given that opportunity now by a second staff, and I think that's concerning. So he would not make that cut for me um, defensively. One yeah. point I just want to make about Drake here. Let's, let's start with him as an example, because based on the time of the rebuild, he's a third-year player. I'm sorry, he's a third-year player last year. He's a fourth-year player, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. I mean, I just don't see how a fourth-year running back ever fits into your team with this kind of a rebuild. I mean, he'd have to be, you know, Ray Rice, uh, Emmett Smith. You know, he'd have to be somebody you really wanted to sign to a second contract yep. to make that exciting and I agree. Disposable. Yeah. I mean, I, and I'm really surprised that, that actually Houston didn't try to just throw him in. Mm-hmm. Like, like why didn't Houston try to get him in that trade? That is, it's just kind of baffling to me. Cause it's all I, kinds think, of sense. I, I think you're right. Yeah, exactly. I and mean, that's exactly the type of player that they need, even with Duke Johnson. So, uh, but yeah, offensively, I think this is, this is one of those situations where it's, it's almost attractive as a general manager and as a coaching staff, because you know what, we're not really tied to any of these guys. None of them are significantly invested in Mike Gusecki is the hope. Right. He is the prayer. He's the guy that we have our hands together and we are just begging this guy to take the next step because he's so physically gifted. But who knows? He, he's a he's a total wild card at this point. Um, definitely more of an athlete than a player at this point. But defensively, I think it's more promising. I, I, obviously, we know about Xavier Howard. They just extended him. Mm-hmm. He is certainly the present and the future at the position. Um, I, I think that their their linebacking core is really what's been remade nicely. I think that the Ohio state duo, Jerome Baker, Raquan McMillan, I think both of those guys can be long-term fits with the franchise, especially Baker. I think Baker's the guy. He's the new school linebacker. He's great in space, very good in coverage. Um, he's a good delayed blitzer. He has a great instinct for the ball, good finisher. 
Um, the fact that he was the third round, I think that speaks more to uh, what happened at Ohio State with the coaching changes, with a, a little bit of a scheme change. He got phased out a little bit. Miami got great value with him. McMillan, a little bit more of that inside bruiser, a little bit more of that traditional middle linebacker. He's not ideal, in a sense, for the middle linebacker role in 2019, but I think he's good enough, and I think he does enough in coverage. His leadership has been lauded. They're very confident in what he can bring to the table. He's going to have the captain's helmet and be making the play calls this year already. And I think that's really encouraging for a guy who had a torn ACL um, on a special teams play in preseason his rookie year. So uh, he's definitely been nice so far. Okay, so McMillan, he's getting the green dot, and yet he's not the coverage player that Baker is. And we'd we'd agree on that. So Baker's playing the will spot, and McMillan is at the mic spot, really? Yeah. Okay, and and that is not a not difficult, different than the Ravens have done it as well. But it underscores kind of part of the problem. Is there a safety that you the strong safety is usually the player who is an every down player who could take that role and allow substitution? My question is coming up here is that do you, do you substitute for your inside linebackers with a dime package or even with a quarter package to get a couple of extra safeties on the field? So if they run it like the Patriots, then yes. Then you'll see Rashad Jones, Bobby McCain, and Minka Fitzpatrick. I think you're going to see Fitzpatrick regardless, but they Mm -hmm. have Fitzpatrick listed as a safety and not the slot corner, which is interesting, although I think Fitzpatrick is going to be the slot safety essentially. Um, So I think you'll see that when they go to two linebacker. I think we'll see a lot of two linebacker from them a lot this year. Um, They don't have really a playable third linebacker on the roster. Um, I think that's on purpose. I really do. They traded Kiko Alonso, and I think that was not only because, well, that's for multiple reasons, um, cost, issues with Alonso's play. Um, but then also, I just don't think they, they view that as the future um, for the position. So, yeah, yeah, I think you'll see a lot of safety play, just like the Patriots, where they'll run three safeties constantly. Okay, so I, I need to make sure I understand this first. Okay, Miami runs a 4-3 or 3-4 currently? It's going to be one of those hybrids. Uh, If it's based off the preseason, I think it'll be 4-3, but you're effectively running it more of like a 3-4 in terms of like the personnel is big, it's heavy. Um, Mm -hmm. So your only real pass rusher in there is going to be Charles Harris. And then you're maybe bringing guys like um, Andrew Van Ginkle. He's he's a a rookie, uh, a little bit more of a pass rusher who can sub in. Uh, But it's going to be, I think, more of kind of like how we see the Patriots do it, where you're just kind of using a bunch of different personnel to rotate in for situational play. Okay. All right. So the Ravens have a a pretty set 3-4, and they move to the dime defense uh, on passing downs, obviously. About 29% of the time they bring in Anthony Levine as a sixth defensive back. Otherwise, they they play nickel or base, depending, obviously, on whether or not the other team puts three receivers on the field. And it's it's very predictable, except in, you know, maybe late in games when you're going to always have three wide receivers on the field anyway. To, yeah. to, to uh, if, if the other team is trying to catch up. Same with the, but my point was, are they are they in a position with Baker and McMillan to take one of them off the field for a safety as they're slated right now? It looks like Baker had fewer snaps last year. McMillan's going to have the captain's dot, which usually means he's on the field every play. Yeah, and that's where it's going to be interesting because I'm, you know, if they run it again, if they run it like the Patriots, you would think that they would keep McMillan on the field. A little bit more but I think that it's and that's where the dichotomy is where it's like Baker's a little bit more effective in that role and maybe you're hoping that you know I know the franchise has to be hoping Fitzpatrick is going to take that role he hasn't necessarily received I think the hype that he has been taking that role this offseason so and I don't know if that's more of a new coaching staff just hasn't taken to love him type of thing or maybe he 
hasn't necessarily made those steps, which is a little harder to believe coming from Saban's defense. He was very well regarded by Saban, and he had a lot of responsibility right. for Alabama. So I think he can handle it. It's just whether this coaching staff has taken to him. He was one of two players in last year's draft that I thought the Ravens should have damned their needs mm. to draft You know, uh, a tight end, a wide receiver, this or that, an offensive player, period and taken either him or Derwin James in the first round. Fitzpatrick yeah. was taken earlier, of course, and I was so upset about the trade down of the Derwin James pick. But uh, <laughs> at least Acosta got a fair amount for it, and he rolled those picks effectively uh, to, to move through there. Okay, great, great. Let's move on to uh, you know other places on the defense. You want to talk about the secondary for a little bit? You've talked a little bit about it with Minka and some of the others, but... Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, like I said, Howard, Howard is the guy. Yeah, I think Minka, Minka and Howard are the two guys that you really want long term. Um, the rest back there, I think, is, you know, year to year. I, I think that would be the most way to most uh, kind way to say it. Like I said, Bobby McCain is someone that you want to get more out of, but I don't know that they're going to put him in the role to succeed. And that's tough because of, like I said, what they're paying him is going to be. Um, it's a little extravagant for the position. They haven't prioritized the free safety position as a franchise the last several years. Um, they finally moved on from uh, from McDonald. That he was his skill set was overlapping with Rashad Jones and, and Minka Fitzpatrick, and and he was a little bit more of a thumper, downhill thumper, and and they didn't necessarily need a Patrick Chung type of safety. They already have Rashad Jones. So, and I think Jones isn't necessarily going to be long for this team. I think if I were to look at this team and say, man, if we could get rid of one guy from that front office, it's got to be Rashad Jones. We want Jones to come out, play well. We want him to be healthy. And he's the only bloated contract left on the team. So I think that he's the guy, if you can get him, kind of feature him, get him closer to the line of scrimmage, have him chase the ball carrier, make tackle for loss, highlight plays. Maybe we can unload him at the trade deadline, get a mid-round pick. Maybe he's a difference maker for someone else. Um, so you're already starting to look at this back end and saying, we don't really have long-term plans for half of these guys. And mm-hmm. we're not necessarily 100% sold on Minka Fitzpatrick if we're not giving him you know, a little bit more responsibility. And maybe that'll be earned in time. And, and maybe they're trying to play this coy like that. Um, so I would look at the other cornerback. So the really the most interesting spot, I think, to me, because, again, I, I believe in Minka's talent. I believe in Xavier Howard's talent. And I believe that both safeties aren't necessarily long term. So I'm going to look at the other cornerback spot. This is where it's really interesting. So you got Eric Rowe. Eric Rowe was a solid starter for the Patriots with his time there. Last year, suffers an injury, tries to play through it, is absolutely torched on primetime TV. He comes out later and admits that he shouldn't have really been playing. But, of course, don't want to lose your starting job. Once you lose your starting job, you're done. And that's exactly what happened to him. J.C. Jackson steps into the role. You never see Eric Rowe again in a Patriots uniform. Uh, so obviously he comes back with Miami now. He's looked really good in the preseason. He looks comfortable. There's some physical limitations with him. Is he a safety? Is he a corner? But he's big. He's physical. I think he can fit if Flores is going to use him, similar to how Bill Belichick has used bigger, more physical corners in the past just like Eric Rowe was supposed to be. He was supposed to be like a Brandon Browner type replacement um, across from Stephon Gilmore. I think he can be that for Miami because you're going to hopefully give him that safety support over the top. That's the idea. I don't know. Miami has the personnel to really execute it. They don't have their Devin McCourty back there. They don't got, they don't have that single high type presence with the way that they run their safeties, but ideally he fits into that role. He's a but one you're, year. You're, t- you're telling me of an outside corner who can't cover deep. Well, I, I wouldn't say he can't. I just think that he's he's not agile enough to really handle certain cuts. Mm-hmm. He's fast in a straight line. He can turn and run. It's just 
you want to shade your safety that way. I think that's the kindest way to say it. And the, here's the danger with that. And, and you look at, and again, I'm going to go back to New England. They're a really good example of this. Um, Seattle used to be a great example of this as well. Um, Dallas is currently a really good example of this with Byron Jones, where Byron Jones, Stephon Gilmore, they're more athletic than Xavier Howard. They're a little bit better at reading routes than him. They can anticipate the routes. They're a little bit more fluid with their movements. So they can handle a guy one-on-one. Patrick Peterson the same way. So you can afford to, slit, to shade your safety over to the other side of the field because generally your other safety or your other corner is going to be a little bit more limited in some capacity, whether it be speed, agility, size, whatever it may be, physicality. Rose is just going to be the, the agility. It's going to be cutting, cutting on routes, especially deep comebacks, deep posts. There's going to be times where his hips just are not as smooth and he can't accelerate quite as well onto those types of plays. So you want to filter that receiver into the safety. That's the, that's his limitation. And I think that the, the issue with Miami is that they don't necessarily have the free safety to handle that. And they don't necessarily have the number one corner to always rely on. And you can look at the um, the Patriots game last year against, um, I think it was Julian Edelman, who was just absolutely torching Xavier Howard left and right um, with those man routes. He's Howard's an amazing zone defender, but he's not the best man defender at this point. Maybe he'll take that next step. But so you look at these two corners, they both kind of fit this mold of they're very good physical specimens in terms of physicality, playing the ball. They're going to play the ball. They're going to do a good job of that. But can you trust them on an island? I don't necessarily think that you can for either. So, yes. Right, so the question about Roe is he's got that great length that you look for in the outside corner. And and one is not what it used to be at corner. There's some there's some bigger corners now in the league. But still, it's it's tall. And he has good straight line speed. Is he a good boundary defender? Does he use the boundary well, at least for that? Yeah, and I think that's a, that's a spot of growth for him is that he is physical at the point of attack. He's going to try to, his best to, to filter out that 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 uh, running back or ball carrier to the sideline as best as he can. Um, I thought his 2017 season, I think he was one of the stronger run defenders that I was charting that year um, at finishing the play, and I like that from him. Is he's going to go for the ball, and that's that was kind of the the draw for him to play safety too, is that he was an adequate adequate open field tackler, um, not will not afraid to drop his shoulder when he needs to. All right, does he have, he have the instincts to move to safety in your opinion? I thought he did coming out of college, um, yeah. and we really haven't seen it in the NFL. But I think it's totally different when you've got your eyes in the backfield as opposed to eyes on the receiver. Um, I don't know that he's been a playmaker in the NFL at corner like I was hoping he would become, but some of that was also just projection. And he's he's in the last year of his contract. Is he someone that you think the Dolphins will sign long term? Uh, I think it's health. I think it's depending on health. Uh, yeah. I think that's the easiest way to say it because it's because the roster is in the state that it's in. Um, if he falters, they're going to yank him because they're they're looking for long term. So if you don't prove yourself quickly, I think all of these guys are going to be on a short leash. I mean, the way I look at it is Eric Rowe, you have to pay full market value for every snap the remainder of his career beginning in 2020. Yeah, so he's, he's on this contract. If he, if he plays well, somebody's going to pay him. So, yep. yeah, definitely. All right. Well, let's let's move on. I think we've covered a lot of the defense here, and I, I really am loving this conversation. It's great to get into this kind of depth, Ian. Um, but let's move over to the offense and talk a little bit about, first of all, the logic at quarterback of whether to start Fitz, Fitz or go with Rosen starting the season here. Yeah, I I think if you're going to look at it, you you look at the opening you know slate for the Dolphins and. It's a tough one, right? You start off with the Ravens, especially. Uh, they don't really have a break, I think, until it's like week five or six and it starts to get a little bit easier. And I, I think that that's probably 
if you're going to say that, you know, that's what they're saving him for, if that's what they're saving, you know, Josh Rosen for, we just traded Tunsil, you know, we don't have mm-hmm. much certainty at, you know, several other positions. That's what you're selling yourself on. Okay. Like we're going to kind of save him of some of this beating 12 games is enough for us to see Rosen. We'll know what we know at that point, kind of like Baker Mayfield last year where he came in late and, and the Browns knew the Browns, you know, obviously he played well uh, for, for, for most of his starts um, and same for Lamar Jackson too. He comes in, you kind of know. It was his time. So I guess I think Miami's hoping for that um, in a sense of, well, maybe they're hoping for that. I, ideally, they would be hoping for that um, if they're not, you know, I said on a different quarterback. Uh, well, one, a, a question comes up right away is, would they be better off trading him during this season as opposed to uh, in the offseason when they presumably might have the number one or number two draft pick lined up and the surety of a franchise quarterback, whether it's Tua or Herbert, if they want him? Yeah, but then with that comes the comes the friction that every other team in the league knows you have to trade your quarterback. Yeah, you know, and I'm I'm fascinated. I'd love to know what they could get for him right now. Mm-hmm. I I would absolutely. I mean, he was basically a free pickup because they traded down in the second round. They got a Saints second rounder for next year. They used the second rounder this past year. It was quote unquote. It's not really free, but in a sense, he was a free pickup. If you're going to look at it for second rounder for second rounder like that, and I know that's flawed, but. Um, I almost wonder if, if, if you're even going to be able to trade him next year. I wonder if he's just a backup, if you just keep him as a backup, a cheap backup uh, that you try to develop. I, I don't know. Like, it's unprecedented, right? Like, to be able to see a player go from such a terrible situation to a, a new terrible situation, I'm going to be fast. I mean, I I would be shocked if this team isn't the, the worst team in the league this year. So it'll be um, – it'll really be something to see what type of – if they get any offers, if there's any interest in league-wide because it doesn't seem like there was a ton – this past year, because most of the quarterback positions around the league were already filled with recent draft picks or established veterans. And I, I'm not sure that's going to change this next year. You have injuries that will occur naturally. So I, I, I'm really wondering about it. I mean, it, things change week to week. Obviously, yep. two quarterbacks could get hurt. And all of a sudden, Rosen has a lot more value than he did the previous week. No. Yeah. I mean, if someone comes to you, if like, a, you know, say like the Colts or something, Kobe Brissett or, or, you know, insert team here, they come with you and say, we'll give you a third round pick for him. I don't know why you don't take that. And I'm a Josh Rosen fan, right? Like, I think he can be a franchise quarterback. I just, when you're when you're on a train, you know, it's headed directly to the number one pick. You talked about contract value. We're going to be two years down already on Rosen. There you go. And yep. and that's the thing. And, and, and that's especially a quarterback more than any other position. I think that you look at that value. Two years of potentially a better quarterback, even an even quarterback, you would always take the cheaper player. Right. Um, so it's... I think they really have to consider it. If they get that type of offer, third or fourth round pick, and that kills me to say it because I, I'm a big Josh Rosen fan, but they are not putting him in a position to succeed. And it's just not realistic to say that he's going to be entering, you know, almost a, uh, a contract extension phase within the next two years. He's not going to have anything to work with. And if he were to succeed, it would be remarkable, simply nothing short of remarkable. Mm-hmm. Well, it's, he, he may get that opportunity um, with, yeah, uh, we don't need to, we don't need to beat a dead horse on that. I, but I'm, I'm completely agreement that it'd be about 40 million worth of cap, 20 million per year for two years is what the cost of losing these two years is. I mean, just in, just yeah. in the timeline. And, and it's, it's that's crazy. awfully hard to be, I mean, that's, uh, that's, you know, having Mac or, or somebody like that on your team for those two years. Yep. All right. So, uh, tell us a little bit about run concepts. What are the What are the Dolphins like? Do they like to run from eleven personnel? Do they like to use a heavy formation of some sort? 
Yeah, I think we're going to see a lot of 21-type personnel from them this year. We saw a lot of the preseason quarterback under center, dropping back, deep drop backs, two or three receiver routes. I don't think we're going to see – I don't think we're going to see a very modern offense, actually. Mm-hmm. I think we're going to see a little bit more of a, an old-school offense. They're going to run the ball a lot as much as they can until they're out of games. I think they want to shorten the game, keep things physical, use their speedy receivers, especially Grant. Um, I think he's going to be a little bit more of a focal point until Preston Williams. And if Devontae Parker can establish himself, those will be their kind of bigger play type of chunk receivers. Uh, I don't think that this is going to be spread them out four or five wide, what we see out of New England. And I think that some of that's they don't they're not going to trust the offensive line. There's there's no way they're going to trust them. Uh, But I think what we saw in the preseason is going to be pretty uh, predictive of what we're going to see just because personnel wise. All of their guys are better run blockers than pass blockers. So I think you build that for a certain reason, even though they're not necessarily using these guys at the future. I think that that you have to coach your strengths and that's going to be their strength. Uh, I think also that the uncertainty at the tight end position, you've only got really guys who should be blocking except for Gusecki. And, and like I said, he's more of an, an X factor more than a starter. I mean, the fact that they signed Dwayne Allen, uh, they were going to keep him around. They ended up not keeping him around at that bloated number. I still wouldn't be surprised that they bring him back at a cheaper number or they replace him. Durham Smythe, more of a blocker. Nick O'Leary, a little bit of both. Not great at either, really, uh, but he could be used as an H-back. Kalen uh, Ballage can be used as an H-back. So I think in some form you're going to be seeing heavier formations, um, a lot of play action off of that, and you know two or three receivers out there. I don't think it's going to be – Cliff Kingsbury's five wide trying to mm-hmm. compensate for his talent like that. And, and that's probably for the better, probably going to keep guys, you know, off the ground a little bit more, especially, you know, Fitzpatrick and Rosen. All right. All right. Uh, walk us through the offensive line. What's left in the wake of the Tunsil trade going across from left to right. Okay. Yeah. So like I said, we've got Julian Davenport, I think at left tackle, I think that would be the safe assumption for their starter. Uh, he's, he's a mess. Uh, <laughs> I know there's there's definitely a lot of people have concerns about the Ravens uh, pass rush. This is going to be a good opportunity for for young guys to establish themselves and, and maybe show out and look look their best uh, against Julian Davenport. I would expect to see the tight end on that side of the field as often as possible or the running back aligned to that side of the field when they're in shotgun to just try to give him help, try to chip. Um, he's very technically deficient. Um, doesn't really have a great physical skill set outside of being large, um, but that's pretty much every tackle in the league is large. So mm-hmm. I'm not, there's not really saying much there. I just I, I wasn't a fan of his as a prospect. I think for Houston, he was disastrous. I know he's one of the worst graded um, guys in the league. I think pressures and sacks wise, he was among the bottom as well. Um, and some of that is Deshaun Watson. Deshaun Watson plays that way. He's going to make it a little bit tougher on his linemen. Um, Brian Fitzpatrick is probably not going to make it harder on him per se. Uh, but he also is not going to extend plays, obviously, and beat Deshaun Watson. So uh, Davenport is, is certainly a weak point. I would probably argue he's probably the weakest of the group. Uh, like I said, I was, and I was really surprised that they didn't keep around Sam Young. So Sam Young was their swing tackle before. Uh, they actually cut him, and that was a little bit of a surprise because he was at least – he wasn't serviceable as a starter, but he wasn't absolutely dreadful either. Um, where I think I think Davenport is probably the worst starting tackle in the league. Um, left guard, Michael Zeter kind of mentioned him a little bit, a little bit more of a downhill guy. Uh, I think that you're hoping for him. You want to see a little bit more quickness in his pass sets. You want to see him get his hands engaged. Once he gets his hands on you, he's pretty good. 
He's able to, to kind of stonewall you a little bit, stand you up. I want to see him be able to handle I mean, he's got a heck of a battle this week. Brandon Williams uh, is a phenomenal monster. Michael Pierce, same thing. Whoever he gets lined up against, those are that's a, a, an amazing uh, test for him. Uh, you know, and obviously I think Miami's going to be saying, well, you know, if you can prove yourself this week, this is this is going to go a long ways uh, for us this season and be a major help, but certainly going to have his hands full. Uh, Daniel Kilgore coming off of injuries, center. Uh, he's a very good pass blocker. He's the one pass blocker of the group. And that's kind of the interesting part with it being a center. Usually that would be the run blocker of the group, get out in space, landmark at the second level. It's not the case. He's, he's a decent athlete, but he's going to be helping out these guards with the double teams, helping guys identifying blitzes. I think he does a pretty good job of that. Uh, I think he's limited sacks better than most centers over the last couple of years. Um, 49ers were very happy with him until they could get Weston Richburg, uh, Weston Richburg in free agency even after extending Daniel Kilgore. So he's one of those type of players. He's a casualty from San Francisco just because they got the, the guy of their dreams in free agency. Uh, Miami pounced in with a, a late round draft pick. I think that when he played last year, he played very well. Um, so he would be the, the guy right now who's their best blocker. Um, it's not to say he's amazing, but especially because in the run game, he's not too great. He's not too mobile, but he holds his own at center and he's pretty good. I think at providing support. Uh, Breakard, there's a little bit more of a competition. They traded for Evan Be- uh, Bone from from Indianapolis. He's kind of bounced around. He wasn't good in Arizona. Obviously, he wasn't good enough to make it in Indianapolis. But I think that he's going to be a, a little bit of a push to Dion Calhoun. Uh, Calhoun, undrafted free agent. They bring him in. Uh, he's a little bit of an unknown too, right? So like, he's going to be a guy that we're not really sure about. What we've seen in preseason is that he, he's a little bit more like Dieter. He kind of fits that mold. He's going to be a little bit more physical. He's a big dude, 315 pounds. So I, I don't know that he's the athlete necessarily um, to become a dynamic player. It's a little bit more of that that Patriots way where they look at, well, can you stonewall guys? Can you can you be strong at the point of attack? We can kind of work through our scheme. Um, I'm kind of slipping on the, the Patriots guard that they have. Um, uh, who's very similar to that type of mold when he came out. That was the book on him is he works in a phone booth really well as mm-hmm. a pass blocker. We're going to make our best with the run blocking over time. Obviously they've got Dante Scarnecchia, yeah, who's the best offensive line coach probably, you know, in the league and they've made it work with him. They recently extended the guy. Um, so I don't, I don't think Calhoun's got that type of potential, you know, just, just to get that out there, but you're trying to get maybe like 70% of that. You're trying to get a guy who can just operate on his own. We don't have to provide a ton of support to, I don't think he's going to be that guy, especially early in his career. That's a, that's a big leap, but um, I think he's he's going to be a guy that they, if they can get more out of him than what they're hoping for, this offense might be just a little bit better than than, than you'd expect. Um, right tackle Jesse Davis, he's played guard, he's played tackle, he's certainly more comfortable at guard. He's got the athleticism for right tackle though. He doesn't necessarily have the strength. He doesn't necessarily have the technique. He doesn't use space extremely well. Um, and I think that's discomfort at the position. I think he's trying to compensate for his lack of strength um, with that athleticism. And that just does not work for most teams. You, it can work for stretches of the game. It can work at right guard, but it does not work at right tackle too often. Um, and so the right tackle position for them is really interesting because they've got two opposite types of players with Davis. He's somewhat serviceable for now. Behind him is six-round pick Isaiah Prince. Prince was, uh, he had a really interesting career at Ohio State. He was very streaky, um, a toolsy type of player, but his he's, upper body is huge. Uh, so he's another more of a run blocker, 
his senior year, played pretty well for Ohio State the first half of the year. But the book on him is that mentally when he gets down on himself and he, and he doubts himself, he really struggles and he goes into funks. We saw this with Ohio State. Hmm. Dwayne Haskins started to get pressured a lot more um, as the season started to progress, and a lot of it came from Prince. And it's it's just that he just goes to these stretches where it's it's really tough on him. So I don't think we'll see Prince on Sunday um, unless if Davis really just gets bullied by this front. And I think he will, to a certain extent, get bullied um, just because the Ravens are so physical up front. It does not fit well against Miami. Miami does not. As, I don't think that's a, a matchup at all that's going to bode well for Miami. And it, and it hasn't in the past. Uh, they've always been a little bit more of an outside run, run zone type of uh, team. I think they're going to try to be that a little bit more early in the season. Um, and I think they're going to have to revert as the season goes back because it's just, I, I don't think Davis is going to be able to last at, at right tackle with that scheme. But uh, Davis is, he's going to have another tough matchup too. I mean, Pernell McPhee's a grown man. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I think he's going to get in his face you know, anytime that they're, they're matched up. Okay, so you're 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 thinking Pernell McPhee is really rushing from the outside, and I think of Pernell McPhee as mostly being used as an inside rusher. He is he's an outside linebacker. He'll he'll probably start at outside linebacker because Harbaugh likes to give the veteran starts. But I think the high leverage snaps and McPhee won't play a lot. He'll play 25 snaps a game probably are going to come on the inside on passing downs. So I think we'll see him more there, much like Zadarius Smith was used last year. But uh, yeah, it. I, I look at the Dolphins, and, and they have great size at tackle. They have exactly what you want in terms of size at tackle. Uh, but the results have been less maybe than what they would have hoped for, certainly after, you know, other than Tunsil. Yeah, yeah, and, and they lost, you know, Juwan James last year, too. So they, they had the finesse right tackle last year, too. And and like I said, they, they sort of looked the part. It's just a matter of the physicality using the hands, effectively using the hands, being able to handle counters, the speed to power, I think really is going to give this group a big, a big issue. And, and unfortunately, you know, I think the Ravens have more of that than, than most teams. Uh, again, some of these guys have to prove themselves a little bit. Tim Williams, are they, you know, who's going to actually step up and be, you know, Jalen Ferguson obviously looked really good in the preseason. Um, maybe he's going to be that guy. So whoever it is, I think it's going to give this team a, a handful. Um, maybe it's Tyus Bowser, who knows, but uh, I don't think it goes well for Miami just from a standpoint of skill set wise. It's not, at least if these guys were more physical, bigger, old school line, maybe that would do a little bit better in pass pro this week. But I just don't think that'll be the case. You know, what's really funny in hearing this is you're concerned about the Ravens pass rushers. And we couldn't be more concerned here in Baltimore about the Ravens pass rushers. <laughs> Uh, yeah, not being good. So, I, 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 I think that's the, I think that speaks more to Miami's issues <laughs> than anything. Well, the, well, the Ravens last year had two thousand two hundred and twenty-two non-penalty outside linebacker snaps, and that included a bunch, about one point three per play, so maybe about thirteen hundred from the combination of Suggs and Zadarius Smith. So they've got to figure out how to replace a very large number of snaps with a bunch of guys who have not done it yet. So Tyus Bowser played 150 snaps or some such last year. Williams played even fewer. And, you know, both those guys, we really need to see the Ravens have them jump forward to 400 to 500 snaps because I don't think McPhee is going to play north of um, 350 snaps this year. That would probably be my top end. I mean, he's an older player, 20 snaps a game. If you get that, you, you should be thrilled. Um, and then it's Jalen Ferguson, and I think he'll get blame time when injuries come, but I mean, you're, you're concerned about the Ravens, you know, having a explosive pass rush front. And I think 
it's it's really it wouldn't be my concern in playing the Ravens. The defensive interior, sure, it's a pretty good defensive interior, but yeah, but not the pass rushers. I think most weeks that's going to be the case. I know, like when I wrote about them earlier in the off season and they lost, you know, Smith specifically, it was that was my concern is is who's going to play pass rush. I just I think Miami's offensive line is so bad. <laughs> I think this is going to be a good week for someone, whichever young player breaks out, um, gets the opportunity with the snap count. I think they're gonna they're gonna look pretty good. Okay. All right. Well, fair enough. That's a great in-depth review, position by position, I think, of pretty much the whole team. You want to talk at all about the receivers? You talked a little bit earlier about tight end, about any running backs that you'd like to discuss, any of the eligibles. Uh, It surprises me a little bit how much buzz Kalen Ballage gets. Um, I I don't see it with him for Miami. They... They haven't necessarily forced him the ball a lot, but but whenever he does, he's not an elusive guy. He's a little bit of a, a downhill. He's going to just run right into the to the back of the lineman sometimes if, if it's going to be called it, you know, between the guard and the tackle. He's going to go between the guard and the tackle no matter what, for better and for worse. <laughs> if you give him a runway, he can run, you know, downhill fast, but he does not make defenders miss. Um, I think if Miami's best chance here uh, to get some points on the board, make some explosive plays, it'd be, it'd be Kenyon Drake. He can make guys miss. He creates a lot out of nothing. Uh, he has some negative plays here and there. I think his pass pro is very poor, um, and I think that that probably keeps him on the feet, keeps him off of the field at certain times. Uh, but Miami's best chance is going to be Ryan Fitzpatrick throwing up jump balls to guys like Preston Williams, Devontae Parker, um, and handing the ball, getting out to screens to Kenyon Drake. Whenever you see Bale, uh, Ballage or Mark Walton in the in the game, I think you're going to see a little bit more pass blocking out of those guys, um, a little bit more predictable play calling. I wouldn't see any explosive plays out of them unless if uh, Ballage gets lucky and, and breaks a tackle, you know, drops his shoulder like the one time that he'll do a game. Um, so it's, it's just very uncommon. So it's, it's not an overly explosive unit. I don't think they're going to have a lot of time to throw the ball. Um, they're going to try to shorten this game, I think, and, and make it ugly, um, which kind of works, I think, for – Baltimore, I think Baltimore kind of wants to do the same thing. They've, they've been great at doing the same thing for so long, uh, but I don't think that plays into Miami's hands. I don't think that's their strength. Um, it's just going to be their strongest play, even though it's still not going to be very great of a plan. Right. You have, you have to have the lead. And a lot of what the Ravens had done to, to shorten games was basically to win, to improve the quality of their defense by shortening these games. They had a lot of problems maintaining leads in the fourth quarter under Dean Pease, and part of it was – the offense was not providing that low variance, grind it out first down after first down and win the play battle by enormous amounts. It, it, it had a huge advantage in overall plays. I don't have that in front of me right now last year, but they led the league in, in uh, play offensive plays run per game. So, you know, I look at that and I, I, I say, if you have the lead, it's great if you can do that and continue to run the ball effectively when you have the lead. But most teams can't do that. And, uh, you know, but, but I agree. It makes sense. Shortening the game in general is something the more talented team should not be happy about. They should not be happy allowing that exchange of game shortening. Just the same yeah. way you take less chances when you have the more talented team. You're, you're less likely to go for it on fourth and two, say, where you would not, normally might try it. Uh, you, you know, it just doesn't make sense when you to take a lot of risks when you're in that position. Yeah, I would definitely agree. And and I think that the weather will be interesting in this because I think the line on this, when I looked earlier, it was like Ravens minus six and a half. Mm-hmm. Boy, that seems like such an easy pick. And I know it was Ravens like minus four uh, before Miami started trading their entire team away um, and cutting guys who were going to start. But um, it, it to me, the only way that that doesn't get covered is if, 
the weather really forces both teams to just run the ball nonstop. Um, so it kind of has me concerned for, you know, as, as a better, <laughs> I'd be looking at the Ravens and saying, man, like I, it's like Miami is like a, a grade one or like a tier, or like a low tier knockoff of the Ravens offensively, not necessarily with personnel, but I think their overall approach to trying to shorten these games, maybe take some deep shots occasionally with these talented receivers. It's funny, like the, I think the receivers are easily the most talented part of this offense. Not even close. Like this is a pretty decent receiving core, um, especially uh, you know once we before cutdowns they had guys I think could make the roster elsewhere with like Bryce Butler. He did really well in the preseason. Um, but overall, I just I, I don't see how they get into a game. Fitzpatrick's going to give them a chance, but. Um, so sometimes he's also going to throw four picks, and this might be one of those games. So what I was taking from your statements is normally I would expect a uh, money line that would Im- impute to pretty close to 75% for a seven-point spread. Okay, And I'm seeing a money line on this game, which has the Dolphins as good as, as three, 3.65. Okay, now I don't do the plus. I do each dollar returns 365, kind of like a horse racing thing. Okay, and yeah, you that makes sense. A dollar thirty-six on the Ravens, slightly better than than four to three okay. on the on the thing. So so obviously a, a little bit less than a seventy-five percent chance. Does that seem to make sense given what you're seeing there? And that's looking at a cross section of books. So I'm, I'm taking the best price on on either, on both. Wow. Um, boy, I mean the Ravens just it just seems like too good of a value. Okay. It, it, to me, I, I just think the Raven. I don't see a way the Ravens lose this game. I, okay. I really don't. You like the points better than the money line, or the money line better than the points? Then, uh, what's the what are the odds on the points? Okay, so if you if you if you want the Ravens with the money line, it's one thirty six. So your your okay. dollar returns you one thirty six, or if you want the points, it's seven. And hold on, let me get let me get to the right number. No, it looks like it's six and a half at at one hundred nine or one hundred eight. Okay, so I would take the points on that if I can get six and a half. Mm-hmm. Um, seven on the road is always. That's kind of like the, the gray area. I try not to touch those ones <laughs> just because okay. even though I think Baltimore is significantly better and would cover that, um, I would tend to gravitate in those situations. I'd go towards the money line or I'd buy it down to six and a half. Okay. And you can certainly do that. There's a, a lot of different prices here. Anyway, great to get a gambler's viewpoint every once in a while, in addition to obviously a very in-depth viewpoint as well. But uh, we appreciate all you bring here, Ian. Um, let's pick one special player that you think is a very tough matchup for the Ravens? And if you want to pick one on defense, one on offense, you can do that. Sure. Um, so I was, I was thinking about this before the show, and I was like, oh, boy, this is this is not the easiest task. Um, so it's, I would go Jakeem Grant, uh, mm-hmm. the, the receiver, the speedy receiver. And it's, it's you know, I will say this. I absolutely adore the Ravens secondary. I love Marlon Humphrey. I, I was such a big fan of his coming out of – of Alabama and and how they used him his rookie season, rotating him in, uh, get his feet wet. He was so dominant just in those limited plays, uh, and I was like, oh man, this is this is so exciting. Is he going to be able to handle it in a bigger role? And obviously he has. He's really flourished. I think he's one of those guys that those who know about Humphrey are are, are out there saying this is he's already there. He's already he's, you know if, if he can do this full time. And not in any type of rotation or anything like that. Like this, this is the guy. Like this is one of the top five guys I think moving forward in the league. Jimmy Smith, I've loved Jimmy Smith too I, for years. It's just a matter of obviously being on the field. That's his biggest mm-hmm. his biggest issue. Now he's kind of aging too, so you know we'll see how he ages. Uh, but this this is a really fantastic secondary. I'm interested to see how Earl Thomas does 
um, as well. But so it's not necessarily a talent thing, right? I just I, I want to preface that by saying Jakeem Grant is not more talented than any of those guys. It's just the skill set is so unique. He's so fast. He's so good with the ball in his hands. He's slippery. He can break tackles because he is low to the ground. His gravity of uh, center of gravity is so low that he can shed tacklers, and you wouldn't think that for a guy who's like 5'7", five, 5'8". Five, um, so I think he's a guy, especially with Fitzpatrick, who's going to give him those deep opportunities. Um, they're, Miami's probably going to try some route combinations to try to free up Grant, especially to avoid press coverage. If you line him up in the slot, you can do some pick routes um, to get him up the sidelines, and hopefully you're gonna, <laughs> hopefully if, if you're Fitzpatrick, you're going to beat Earl Thomas <laughs> to, to, to hitting your spot so you can look them off. Uh, but I think Grant is a guy who could, you know, potentially reach the end zone for Miami. And I think it's going to be a difficult task for them overall. But I think he's a guy who can create a lot out of nothing uh, for an offense that kind of lacks that consistently. Grant, certainly a player who, if he lines up in the slot and if he can break press coverage or if he can get off on the rub, get off with motion, whatever it might be, uh, that's where the Ravens' weaknesses are in coverage. They don't have a linebacker who's really known as a good coverage player. We'll see. Peanut is supposed to be improved. We'll see. You know, Kenny Young might be okay. He wasn't last year. Uh, so, so they have they have some they have some things they need to do. They're a little bit faster than they were at linebacker, but I, I really think C.J. Mosley was underrated as a coverage player because he was picked on just because of how great the, the entire umbrella was. So you so you yeah. had to pick in the middle of the field. And right now the Ravens without Tavon Young and without having that that you know top end nickel corner are a little bit in trouble in short in the middle of the field. That's certainly where their weakness is in terms of coverage. So I, I could I could hardly see you know it, it could be Grant, it could be someone else on those shallow crossing routes really doing some damage. Yeah, I, I agree. You you got a player on defense too you want to pick? Uh, maybe Christian Wilkins. I, I, that's, I would say maybe, you know, and that's the thing. I just, I don't like the matchup for that Dolphins defense. Um, and, and the only reason I would say that is maybe you look at the, in, the interior of the Ravens offensive line, um, the uncertainty, I think a guard is the one thing that you'd maybe say, uh, there might be, I'm not a huge Christian Wilkins guy. I think he's a good player. I think he was a very safe first round pick. I don't think he's an explosive type of talent. I'm not saying it's a bad pick. I just don't think he was the type of guy that's going to wreck a game. You know, like, I don't think he's going to take over this game. He's he's going to give whoever he's lined up against, maybe not Yonda. I mean, I don't, I don't think he's going to really give Yonda too much of a hard time uh, just because he's still doing great things at his age. But um, I think against Skura, especially if you can kind of angle him in aggressively, maybe he can, she can shoot that gap a little bit. But I, I don't like it enough to say that he's going to do too much. I think Baltimore is probably going to be able to avoid him kind of as easy as they want. They can just go opposite side, and I don't think he's going to chase down guys from the backside too much. All right, the Ravens' big weakness at left guard, uh, at least I don't know if it's a weakness yet, but they haven't named who the starter is, which kind of makes it a weakness. Uh, they have three guys they're supposedly choosing from. One of them is not James Hurst, and I'll believe it when I see it because Hurst played there a lot <laughs> in 2017, of course. But they have, uh, you know, they have an undrafted free agent who's still in the running to be the starting left guard, and it could be in theory, it could be any one of four guys who will still be named by Sunday. So one of the subplots of this game that's going on. But uh, interesting, I, I, if I had to pick a Raven I think could be exciting in this game, I think I would take Brown in his first NFL game. I don't think we have any idea exactly how he'll be used schematically by, by uh, Urban. I think that he could do 
just a tremendous amount. I'm sorry, Roman Urban. Uh, I, I, I think there's so many things he could do with Brown in this game that we haven't seen yet that I'm just I'll be excited to watch it play by play. I'll also be excited to see how much the Ravens can freeze the edge defenders on the Dolphins and, and keep that advantage in the in the middle of the field in the downhill game between the tackles because that was certainly their their hallmark last year. So we'll see, and that could be a, a you know a reason why Wilkins is very important in this game in terms of of being able to mess up that that you know very detailed scheme play. Yeah, and and I think for Miami, what they're hoping to see here is Charles Harris's run defense. He's got to be very disciplined, and I think that's been a big knock for him throughout his early career. So I was surprised that they released Tank Carradine, too, because he was a little bit better at the point of attack with that, making that read. Harris is is often undisciplined there, and he's going to crash a little bit too often. Obviously, you can't afford to crash this week if it's not the right read. So um, I'm very interested, I think, from Miami's perspective to see how Harris can handle that responsibility. Okay. Just an outstanding, detailed evaluation of the Dolphins here. Ian, thank you so much for this. Josh, I'm going to I'm gonna pause it over to you for a second. Do we have anything in the mailbag that's come in on this? Yeah, I want to get to one uh, quick mailbag question that came in that uh, kind of fits with this conversation about the Dolphins tanking and a long rebuild. And this is coming in from Mark, who is wondering, why doesn't a GM annually seek to trade his first-round pick in order to pick up a proven talent rather than actually making a pick, which may or may not work out. I think we could each, we could each answer this in our own way. Why don't you take a crack at it first, Ian, and then I'll layer on. Yeah. So, you know, it's interesting. I'm actually a big proponent of trading picks. Like I'm not saying that everyone should do it and that it's always a good thing to do, but I generally think picks can be a little bit overrated. And part of that is because of how we can manipulate the salary cap. Um, the salary cap is very easily, you know, manipulated. Uh, we see it every year. Teams are quote unquote salary cap hell, and and really they're not. Like especially as the cap continues to grow, eight to ten million per year. So in general, I think that that would, if for the right team, it can be a positive. Why don't we see it? It's very aggressive win now, and I think that the players that you would see available um, are not going to necessarily be worth that. In the sense of you talked about this too, where like the value. Uh, so maybe a guy who's available for a first round pick could be an aging player, 29, 30 years old, mm-hmm. at the at the height of their salary. So it's it's going to be you're not getting the value. Really, that's that's the biggest part of it. And and I think that teams are very hesitant to add that type of. We see it in free agency, but we don't necessarily see it for picks. Uh, a guy at that type of cost, Antonio Brown's a great example. Is Antonio Brown worth the first round pick for the next three or four years? Nope. Yeah. See, well, 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 on the field, I think on the field, well, let's take away, let's take away the personality stuff, but like, you're not going to get a more productive player than him for the next four years. So I think in, in terms of we're taking a value out of it, right? We're just taking on the field. He is easily better than any receiver, unless if you somehow get Michael Thomas, uh, you know, that's very uncommon. Um, he's worth it in terms of production. But there's so much more to it. You spent $20 million a year on him. You're dealing with his headaches. Um, there's also cultural issues there, too, where you've got homegrown talent. You don't necessarily want, and Miami dealt with this for a long time, paying guys outside of the organization as opposed to paying the internal guys. Miami kept letting internal guys walk, paying the outside guys. That ruins a locker room mm-hmm. um, if you're not hitting on those and if you're not winning, if you have the wrong quarterback, whatever it may be, wrong head coach. Um, and, and it just ruined Miami's culture over that. So it's a very specific example, but I think it's apt. And we saw it with Washington, too. Washington constantly had that issue as well. So um, I think for the right team, if you're like New England, 
New Orleans. And we saw it with New Orleans kind of moving picks to get Marcus Davenport. It's it, You can do it here and there. You'd be, be very judgmental about it. But really, we don't see it normally because you're not really you're just not getting um, the on-field impact that you expect out of a first round pick. Um, and then also the, the value, the contractual value is it's just that you, you were talking about this earlier. It's such a big difference. Right. It, it doesn't to me, it doesn't make sense. And I'll go to your locker room thing. And then I want to make a point about Antonio Brown. So, first of all, in terms of keeping the money in-house and effectively promoting from within, giving your money to your in-house people, you give yourself the best chance at choosing the right cornerstone players by having as many draft picks as possible. And that's why I believe in having, you know, the draft picks you can with hopefully the, the success on the field you would have anyway, and then also getting comp picks. And you've got to just really depend on having a GM who can, who can convert those into more value than the chart says. And oftentimes that means moving back. But if you do it right, you get the, you get your own choice of cornerstone players and you have to let a bunch of guys walk, but you get your own choice of cornerstone players in the process. The Ravens, they cannot possibly keep all of the guys they drafted in 2018 after five years. You know, they've got Andrews and, and Orlando Brown and Jackson, of course, and Hayden Hurst, who may end up being something, may end up not. Um, and, and they've got more than that. But, but starting with those guys, I mean, they won't keep them all in five years, but they'll have the choice on who to keep, which is really has value in itself. With Antonio Brown, I'm just going to say that a 30-year-old player is generally not a good thing. But if I were to look at the entirety of the Antonio Brown situation, I'd say he's not with Ben Roethlisberger anymore. So you're going to have friction on the statistics just from the fact that he's not with the quarterback he's extremely familiar with. And Carr may or may not really be the kind of guy who complements what Antonio does if it if that's not the case then some of these other frictions would show up in other ways on the locker room on the sideline and he has been a child on the Pittsburgh sideline he got held up 34 yards against the Ravens he's off kicking a gator cooler about it you know it's it's there's already there's a lot to put up with and at his age I would expect a fairly steady downward trend from this point forward for the remainder of his career however long that is so I don't really see another huge Antonio Brown year ever again. But, you know, if he very possible he's going to catch 84 balls this year for 1,210 yards or something. And we're going to say, oh, he's still Antonio Brown. And then, you know, we'll see a, a, a pretty significant runoff from there, I would think. Just an interesting um, – so I heard this the other day. His over-under on catches this year was like 101. Wow. Oh, yeah, under, yeah, under, the, under. Yeah, yeah. The prop on that was <laughs> was so high. I'm just like, but then again, I'm like, man, maybe, maybe Gruden will force feed him on like, you know, screens. And so now I had me thinking, I was like, I mean, I, and I like, you know, just on the field. Yeah, I very much enjoy watching him play, um, obviously off the field and on the sideline is is a whole other issue. But um, yeah, it's I'm interested to see how his game ages, because I think he he is so talented. But obviously, he was an extreme example. But a very recent one because he went for so cheap. And we were seeing this with Melvin Gordon too. Apparently Melvin Gordon was, um, I think uh, Philadelphia offered Jordan Howard and like a, you know, swap of mid round picks. So something like that, you know, we could, we could, we could talk to that question and saying like, why don't we see those types of trades? Well, you know, and you mentioned this, it's, it, it's tough to do. It's tough to take in a talent, even a really good talent. Um, and you're paying a, an extreme premium to do it for like a first round pick. And and oftentimes cap wise, it's just it puts you in a situation that's that's very difficult. If you're a really good team, you're already playing within the margins 
acquiring that type of player. And that's why it never made sense for Philadelphia to get Jadavian Clowney. Um, they just simply, it would ruin their future cap situation um, to, to the 10th degree because you're also banking on rollover. All right. Outstanding. Hope that answered the question there. Josh, we yeah. that, that good for us? That takes care of it. Yeah, great to get that question in. Uh, it just fit perfectly with this show. So, again, those questions, you can get them in over on filmstudyravens.com by commenting on any of the posts over there or send in your questions using the hashtag filmstudymailbag on Twitter. Um, all right, Ian, what can we plug for you? Uh, how about you share your Twitter handle and any write-in? I know you're doing a weekly column and stuff now, so if you want to share some of that. Yeah, sir. Uh, so Twitter at NFL Film Study. Um, that's definitely the best place to find me, interact. Um, I answer every question I possibly can. Um, so I'm happy to always to, to conversate over there. Uh, I've got two betting columns a week um, over at, at SPR uh, Sportsbook Review. So those are on the college side, um, looking at the my top spreads uh, for the week and then also looking at games that you should fade and just just totally avoid. Um, had a good first week over there, putting together this the second week one here um, within the next day. Uh, NFL side, uh, or actually I should say Saturday, um, I'll be charting the quarterbacks. So if you're looking for if your team's looking for quarterbacks, or if you just like quarterback information on prospects, um, I do a weekly update basically on how the top prospects are doing across the nation from the previous weekend. I chart them all. Um, put together some cool gift threads and stuff as well. Um, NFL side, starting the film studies up next week. Now that we're back in it, I'll uh, be, be doing at least one or two a week. So we'll be picking uh, either player, very specific player uh, performances, reviewing or previewing or teams, taking a look at what went right, what went wrong. Um, so it's pretty open on that. Uh, we'll see how the weekend goes. I'll pick and choose my top couple storylines. And uh, who knows, maybe Baltimore will be one. <laughs> All right. And then again, Ravens at Miami on Sunday, 1 p.m. The weather says partly cloudy, 89 degrees. So it sounds like a great. It's uh, better than it could have been. Summer day. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Better it's than better what I expected. Than, yeah. Then this week, which has been rain and wind and all that type of stuff. Ken, what's coming up on over at filmstudyravens.com? All right. Well, life's good. On, on filmstudyravens.com, we have uh, another video we're planning to do on ample time and space and how I define that. And I'm, what I'm going to try and do is do a few videos to define some of the concepts I put in the articles regularly so people have a reference point to look at that. I never, in, in all the years at Russell uh, Street Report, I never really built a single toolbox uh, piece that people could go to and, and, and look up all the things. It was spread out over a bunch of articles. So we're going to do a better job of, of putting that together. Uh, we have Michael Crawford coming back to do one of the analysis pieces uh, after the first game. And we have Gordon McGinnis from PFF on the other. So we got good guests next week. Uh, we have not yet set up our Know Your Foe episode for, for next week, but three podcasts per week from here for the foreseeable future, plus an occasional video, normal articles that will come after the game. So six, look for six pieces per week. Best if you just check there every day, even if you don't see anything. Yeah, lots of content over there for a uh... – one man show, basically. So, all right, guys. Well, uh, enjoy your next couple of days. I guess really NFL football kicks off tomorrow, as we record this Wednesday night, right? Yep. Very so excited. It's, it's here and exciting. Enjoy your week. Thanks again, Ian. Wonderful guest. Yeah. Thanks, guys. I appreciate it.
Introducing the Lowe's List for Innovation. While our aisles are filled with innovative products, we've selected our favorites just for you. Like the exclusive Whirlpool washer with industry-first two-in-one removable agitator. We love this washer because you can customize any load. And with other smart features to streamline your laundry routine, this product is a must-have for families. Shop the full Lowe's list of top picks at Lowe's.com. Lowe's, home to any budget, home to any possibility. U.S. only. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.